Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is coming. Our text for our sermon is Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. To the messenger in the church of Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation says this, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. If only you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and not hot or cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have become very wealthy and need nothing. But you do not know that you are miserable, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may be clothed and the shame of your nakedness may not become public and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. I rebuke and discipline those whom I love. So take this seriously and repent. Look, I stand at the door and I am knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will go in with him and dine with him and he with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the seventh church of the seven churches to receive a message from Christ in the book of Revelation. And so today we wrap up our theme, questions to ask ourselves as we read the messages to the seven churches. In this message, there's not even a small group who are being faithful that the Lord encourages towards the end. There's nothing but rebuke here, really. There's encouragement then to return. And so ultimately, the problem for the church of Laodicea is spelled out in verses 15 through 16. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. If only you were hot or cold, so because you are lukewarm and not hot or cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, there are two things that are misunderstood in this text, and I'm about to address the first one. I'll get to the second later. The first one is, in America, we often talk about people giving you the cold shoulder. So we think here that Jesus is saying you're neither outstanding believers, nor are you unbelievers. But think about that. Then Christ would be saying, if only you were unbelievers or outstanding believers. God does not want anyone to perish. He would not be rejoicing that somebody was an unbeliever. We totally misunderstand what he's talking about when he talks about being hot or cold. Later in the text, he'll talk about joining believers in a banquet, if you will, dining with them. Now, there are certain drinks at a banquet that you certainly would not ask for to be lukewarm. Some drinks are meant to be chilled, to be cold. They are ice cold and refreshing. If the congregation in Laodicea's Christianity was standing out above their pagan neighbors, they would see them as refreshing. If they were a hot drink like hot chocolate, then they would be warming and comforting. But they are not using their Christian gifts to be warming and comforting. In fact, they seem to be no different than just a simple club. A lodge. And so their Christianity is not standing out. They are not screaming out with the love of the Lord and pouring it on others. They are truly lukewarm. And so today's sermon theme, we will ask the question, are we lukewarm? Jumping into our text at its start at verse 15, it says, To the messenger of the church in Laodicea write, As with every one of these, there's a messenger. And we have to remember, the messenger is the person who God has primarily entrusted to make sure that the word is being taught in its truth and purity. Ah, 
But the messenger in Laodicea should be doing better. He's just as guilty of being lukewarm. Maybe he was busy rubbing elbows with the people around the town of Laodicea so that his congregation would not be persecuted. Maybe he was busy running back and forth doing all those frivolous things that has nothing to do with the direct study and proclamation, teaching, and application of the Word of God. He was lukewarm. He would not be found studying that Word of God so that he could proclaim that message and say, look at the wonderful gems here in God's love or applying the law saying, here's where we need to, need to recognize our mistakes. What kind of messenger was that? One that just gave itching ears what they wanted to hear? That seems to be it. Ah, but remember, this says it's to the church in Laodicea. And the word that is church, I translate as assembly. It's, it's literally the Greek word for being called out. Ecclesia. They have been called out of the ways of this world. They've been called out to be God's children. They've been called to gather together. They should be standing out as proclaiming God's love. And they're not. They themselves are just as guilty. They weren't demanding more of their messenger. They weren't demanding that he be in the word. They might be demanding other things, but it certainly was not that he be on fire with that word. Maybe they were happy to be entertained. A lot of congregations are like that today. Pastor, tell a cute story. Let's never get in the deep end of the pool of the word of God. Maybe they appreciated the finer things that we're going to be told their money could buy in their congregation. I just so love enjoying the couches we sit in at Bob's place because we've bought those. That's so nice. They were lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. They were not standing out above the ambient temperature of the unbelief in their community. And in every one of these messages, there has been an attribute of Christ that is listed, one that goes back to Revelation chapter 1 when the exalted Lord Jesus Christ appears to John and in every one of these, this is the attribute that's needed to fix the problem, to encourage. And so what's the attribute of Christ? We're told the Amen, the faithful witness, the ruler of God's creation. The Amen. Amen is a Hebrew word. That Hebrew word means truth. In fact, the word that follows is actually an explanation of that. It's not the faithful witness and the true witness the two are inseparable. It's the faithful and true witness. He is one witness who is faithful and true. And that explains the amen. He is the one who has come from the throne of God. So he knows the truth. He knows what saves us. He is faithful to us. He was so faithful that he lived his life being tempted in every way for us, yet never succumbed to those temptations. He is so faithful that he went to the cross and bore the punishment for our sins, was abandoned by God, suffered death for us, that you and I could rise who have faith in him. He is true. In a world today where we turn on the evening news and have no clue what's really going on because we are so lied to, Jesus is the truth. We can't save ourselves. But God became a man and he did it for us. And it says the ruler of God's creation. Interesting, the Greek word that's used there can also be the beginner of God's creation. And it's one and the same because he is the one who spoke let there be light. This one who died for us rose for us so that all who believe in him are saved. But he didn't just rise. He ascended to heaven. He has sat at his throne where he rules over all creation, not only to have brought you into your faith, but to keep you in your faith. And as in the case of Laodicea, he is ruling to constantly bring the word to you so that you don't become lukewarm. 
As we ask the question, are we lukewarm looking at the congregation that every one of them was guilty of this? We see they needed the faithful and true witness. And this is why you are here this morning. This is why you do devotions. This is why you are encouraged to come to Bible study. This is why you have given an offering to have a full-time messenger who studies the Word of God so that that true and faithful witness is brought to you through His Word and He strengthens and keeps you warm or ice-cold and refreshing depending on whatever gifts He's given you or the circumstances He places you in. In verse 15, then, our text continues. Jesus says, I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. Now, again, the word used for knowledge here literally is one for seeing. He says, I have perceived. You've heard me say before, two people can be doing the same thing. One can be doing an absolute unbelief, and the other one can be doing it to the glory of God. And only God can know, because only God can read hearts. But God has read the hearts. He sees the works and the works are done as neither cold nor hot, but lukewarmness. I imagine as a congregation, this would look like people, uh, all of them, piling into church on Sunday, sitting down when the service is over, leaving. Not a one of them willing to do anything else. Not a one of them willing to share the good news with their neighbor. Oh, there'll be excuses like I'm shy or my neighbor's cranky. Not a one of them is hot or cold to encourage a brother or sister in Christ. They're lukewarm. They believe in Christ and that was good enough for them. They're not standing out above the unbelievers. Like I said, they're no different than a club. And so he says, if only you were hot or cold, if only you were using the gifts so that you would be refreshing or comforting and warming. But he says in verse 16, so because you are lukewarm and not hot or cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, you heard, you've heard me say in sermons before, especially the Reformation sermon, Martin Luther wanted to translate the New Testament into, and the Old Testament into the language of the people. That's John writes in the common vernacular, in the, using the Greek language. But when the English, when England, which is the language we speak, when the Reformation touched England, they decided to translate with the courtroom language, with the highfalutin language. And they did not translate this very well when it says, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth, because they did not want to repulse you. Literally, the Greek wording is, I am about to vomit you out of my mouth. Why do you vomit? Sorry to be disgusting, brothers and sisters in Christ, but when you vomit, it's because you have rejected something in extreme disgust. He took a drink wanting it to be hot chocolate or wanting it to be ice-cold, refreshing water on a hot day, and it was lukewarm, and it was so repulsive to him that he literally vomited it out. Here is the problem with being lukewarm for the Lord. Because it's the problem Laodicea had. Their inability to distinguish themselves as Christians was disgusting to God. Now I mentioned a minute ago about seeing an entire congregation piling into the pews and then as soon as the service was over, piling out and, and, and nothing standing out about that. Now, in our life, the service we give changes. Sometimes we're young and we're able to shovel those sidewalks and do things to look out for the older members of our church. And when we get older, oftentimes members miss that maybe their role is no longer to be teaching Sunday school. Maybe their role now in the nursing home that they are in is to be showing God's love to the brothers and sisters around them, to the unbelievers around them who oftentimes, let's admit it, adult children put their parents in nursing homes and 
tend to kind of forget about them because they're out of the way. How wonderful it is when a brother or sister in Christ is there to tell them God will never abandon you. God has not forgotten you. In any circumstances in our life, the way we serve the Lord, sometimes we may be that hot, comforting drink. Sometimes we may be that cold, refreshing drink. And it changes in our lives and in our circumstances. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people that are just content to come in, sit in the pew, make sure maybe they're taken care of, and then leave. They're done. They're lukewarm. I believe in God. Good enough. Leave me alone. Don't ask me to serve on the council. Don't ask me to teach Sunday school. Don't ask me to help clean the church. Don't ask me to share God's word with my neighbor. I don't want to be comforting. I don't want to be refreshing. I just want to have my faith. Their inability to distinguish themselves as Christians was disgusting to God. That is very strong law. And it's not done yet. Jesus continues with the further problem. At verse 17, he says, You say, I am rich. I've become very wealthy and need nothing. But you do not know that you are miserable, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Congregation seems to be affluent. We're doing very well. There are many churches out there today that are very lukewarm to the Lord and they'll say, look at the numbers. Instead of faithfully proclaiming God's law like Jesus himself is doing and saying, wake up, you're lukewarm. They do nice, cute plays to make the people feel entertained. And the money pours in. And let's admit it, brothers and sisters in Christ, when when life's going well for us, when we're not having a problem paying the bills, when we have extra money and we're saving up extra for retirement, when the cars aren't breaking down, when things are just fine at work that we can be content, it's easy for us to forget that we need the Lord. I've seen it when I was a layman and I see it as a pastor. When I'm being attacked, when the devil himself is coming at me, when when you can't pay the bills, when the health is not there, when the cars are breaking down, you go, Lord, how much more can I take? That's when we turn and say, Lord, how much more can I take? Crosses, hardships in life, constantly remind us that we cannot make it without God. And there are no trials coming to the congregation of Laodicea, and they are not better off for it. Their affluence is blinding them that they need God. And so God says, Jesus says, you are miserable, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Literally in the Greek, he says, you are the miserable, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked one. All one person, one congregation. They are so different from the other seven. They stand out because of their lukewarmness. They are completely ignorant that in their affluence, they need God and that they are slowly, like, like, like the embers of a fire going out, their faith is slowly dying. And so Jesus says in verse 18, I advise you to buy from me. And we're going to stop there. He's going to advise three things, but we've got to understand what it means to buy. And the Bible comments on itself. In Isaiah 55, verse 1, he says, Hey, all of you who are thirsty, come to the water, even if you have no money. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. He talks about buying, but it's really a gift. God gives you the faith and then you constantly come to the word which breathes those cooling embers into hot flames again. So the three things there to buy. And the very first one, I got got to say, Laodicea was a very wealthy community. And it had especially three things of commerce that stood out. It, like many of the other cities around it, like Colossae, had a thriving wool industry. It was a darker wool, but it was a softer wool. They had a mint in which they made coins for the Roman Empire. 
And they also had a medical college that was renowned because it made this eye salve, kind of like eye drops that people put on their eyes. And by selling it, the whole city was profiting. People came to get that eye balm. And so in verse 18, he says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. They would get this because of the mint. When you take gold and you want it to be pure, you put it in fire and heat it to gold's melting point, and any dross, anything that is not gold, is going to be burned off. Remember when I talked a minute ago about how hardships in our life actually keep us focused on God? He says to his disciples, if anyone wants to come after me, they must take up their cross. And here Jesus is saying, you've got to have crosses in your life. You've got to have those hardships. Otherwise, with your affluence, you'll forget that it's not about the things of this world. You'll forget that I'm the one who saves you and that you desperately need me. You cannot save yourself. Second thing he tells them to buy, white garments. Of course, they sold dark wool, but white garments. White is the color of holiness. And he explains why. So that you may be clothed and the shame of your nakedness may not become public. Literally may not be revealed. They are naked before the Lord. They are beggars. They are so destitute. They have forgotten that they need daily forgiveness. But the white garment of Christ's righteousness, it's an alien righteousness. It's a foreign righteousness. It's not our own righteousness. But by faith, it's put on us. And it's kept clean as we are washed in the blood of the Lamb whenever we confess our sins to God and hear in His word the assurance that our sins are forgiven. Lastly, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. They are blind to what a desperate situation they are, that they are beggars before the Lord. Once again, the word is going to do this. Jesus has spoken while them, showing them their sin. But the good news of salvation in Christ will make them see and make them read that word so that they continue to stop looking through things through the world's lenses, but through the lenses of faith in Christ as our Savior. He's been pretty hard on this congregation, brothers and sisters in Christ. And in verse 19, he says, I rebuke and discipline those whom I love. So take this seriously and repent. It says it way more emphatically in the Greek language. He's been talking, this is what you're doing wrong. You're lukewarm. He says, I on my part, whosoever, any Christian, in any place, whosoever I may be loving, I'm always reprimanding and disciplining him. You ever get a reprimand at work? You screw up and the boss says, you screwed up. Jesus uses his law to show us our sins, to show us our mistakes. He does it because he loves us because he doesn't want to lose us. And he says to discipline them. You discipline a child. They learn not to back talk their teachers and stuff. And it actually makes it easier for them later that their bosses appreciate them for not being lippy employees and things. Jesus disciplines those he loves so that we don't forfeit our salvation. And he says, therefore, you are to start and not stop being zealous. There to either be that ice-cold, refreshing drink or that warm, comforting, hot drink. And he says, and change your mind. That's the word we translate as repent. Stop thinking about the comforts of this world and just rubbing elbows or whatever. Stop thinking about being lukewarm. Change your mind. Say, this is a wonderful message. I'm God's child. And he'll let me be uh, ice-cold and refreshing or real hot and warming for brothers and sisters in Christ and those who don't already know him. Repentance means changing their mind about just filing in, plopping down, and then filing out and just standing out. No different than any club in their community. Are we lukewarm? We see they needed a faithful and true witness. We see their inability to distinguish themselves as Christians was disgusting to God. And a lack of crosses had diverted their eyes. And it's a warning for us that a lack of crosses may divert our eyes from Christ. In verse 20, he says, 
Look, I stand at the door and I am knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will go in with him and dine with him and he with me. This is the other misunderstood verse in this message. There's a famous painting where Jesus is knocking on a door and there's no handle. And people take that as saying you've got to invite Jesus into your heart. Jesus is talking to people who are believers. They're just lukewarm. Their faith is going out. So, and literally says, I've taken my stand. He's been there and he's knocking on the door, knocking on the door, knocking. They're lukewarm. They're believers, but they're content to be believers. And he's waiting. Open the door. Open the door. I got so much more for you. But what happens when they open the door? When they say, yes, I want to be hot or cold. Then he says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, literally the Greek language, I will certainly, he makes it absolutely positive, go in with him and dine with him and he with me. Here is another beautiful picture of the mysterious union of all believers. The Holy Spirit, by the faith he's given you, has engrafted you to Christ. Through that being in that word and hearing of Christ's love, you do good works. You don't do good works to be saved. You're already saved. You're engrafted to Christ. You're in a union with him that will last for all eternity. And so the good fruits will be hot or cold that he grows through us. This is a beautiful picture as we see Christ, Christ is the solution, the faithful and true witness, the great amen. Christ can make us hot or cold in union with him. Lastly, in verse 21, he says to the one who is victorious, I translate this as to the one who conquers. Over and over again in these seven messages, I've pointed out, you are saved. How do we conquer? We conquer by not forfeiting our salvation. So we conquer by staying in the word so that we don't forfeit what's already been given to us. So he says, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Christ is ruling over all creation. Not only he's brought you the faith to keep you in the faith, but when he returns on judgment day, you get to rule all over creation with him because of that union you have with him. And so he's saying, be victorious, stay in the word. Don't give up this wonderful benefit. Don't be blind. Keep your eyes focused on this. And then he ends this with the message he ended with all the others. Whosoever has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Once again, a strong reminder, stay in the word. It keeps us from growing lukewarm. It keeps us hot and warming and comforting. And it keeps us cold and refreshing so that we are using the gifts he's given us. Those who are hot or cold conquer. By using the word of God. And so today we have asked our last of the seven questions. Are we lukewarm? And we've seen the people in Laodicea needed the faithful and true witness as we, uh, all believers, need the faithful and true witness, Jesus Christ our Lord. We see that their inability to distinguish themselves as Christians was disgusting to God, which serves as a warning for us. We see a lack of crosses may divert our eyes from Christ because it had for the people in Laodicea. And we see Christ can make us hot or cold in union with him. So those who are hot or cold conquer by using the word of God. Amen. Now may the God of hope fill you with complete joy and peace as you continue to believe, so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.